0: Uh, Tonight's message, we're going to be looking at facing life's Red Sea challenges. Have you ever felt like you're between a rock and a hard place? Have you ever experienced a time in your life when you didn't know which way to turn? The situation was overwhelming. It was too big for you to handle. Uh, You had maybe the Red Sea on one side and the enemy on the other, and you're hemmed in, and all you can do is trust God. And so we're going to look at that tonight. What is it to face and how do we face some of life's Red Sea challenges? And I'm going to start it off with a little bit of uh, humor. How many like uh, Dr. Seuss? Okay, now this isn't written by Dr. Seuss. Um, I can't remember the author. I've changed about 12 or 15 lines to accommodate my purposes and added a few uh, images here and there, but... um, but it's, it's called Wharton Finds a What's-It. Uh, my favorite um, Dr. Seuss is Horton Hears a Who. And I, I, uh, at one point I almost had memorized the, that whole thing. But this is a little more biblical in kids' fashion. So, now down in old Egypt where Pharaoh was king, a fellow named Mo did a wonderful thing. There were Hebrews and Shebrews all over the place. And that put a frown on old Pharaoh's face. So he did some upsetting to stop all their smiles, but they just kept begetting. They stretched out for miles. Then Mo said, hey, Ro, you're mean and you're rotten. What God's going to do, it won't be forgotten. Sure enough, God got angry and sent them 10 plagues. They even had frogs and their pancakes and eggs. Then came the tenth plague, the worst of all. The death of their firstborn caused all Egypt to bawl. At last, Pharaoh said, I've had enough. Leave Egypt now and take all your stuff. But after they left, Pharaoh's mind did sway, and Pharaoh got angry too and yelled, Oglehe, which is Egyptian, for I'm going to hurt you so bad you will wish you were one kid your mom never had. Because <laughs> that's the way Egyptians... And most people get, when they don't get their way, they don't like it a bit. Now, Roe was so mad that that he followed them all, little ones, big ones, short types, and tall. And he backed them all up at the sea that was red and said, now you'll wish you really were dead. But Pick took his big stick and raising it high, said, God, now would be a great time for you to drop by. And God, who was there all along anyway, Picked up that old sea and just threw it away. Then Pharaoh said, Soldiers, go soldiers, go on and get them. And the soldiers they tried, but the sea up and ate them. Then the Hebrews and Shebrus of Israeli said, God was the best God they ever did see. They partied and stayed up till way, way past eight, celebrating their save from a pharaohish fate. But before very long, they got thirsty and cranky and started to grumble, especially one guy named Spanky. Then they got hungry. In fact, they were starved. They were dreaming of roasted quail perfectly carved and freshly baked bread right off of the shelf, hoping Jehovah would bake it himself. Sure enough, when night came, a Hebrew named Ralph was struck in the mouth by a quail flying south, that one by one they came flying in. Some quail were in stew pots and frying in tins. And early the next morning, oh, I guess I hadn't flashed to that. What was I? Oh, I still hadn't gotten to There's Ralph. And early the next morning on the edge of town, a Hebrew named Wharton was hanging around when he spotted a goldenish, pinkish, white disc and decided to eat it, despite the slight risk. It was just like a sweet little edible plate. And he ran into camp shouting, Hey, this is great! I've found the wonderfulest food in existence. It'll feed us forever and be our subsistence. Now, despite the big words that Wharton had used, he was instantly, nastily, verbally abused. You're a fool, they all shouted. That one little speck can't feed all these folks. Get your brain checked. But Mo said, hey, wait, folks. He's right. Look around. There are zillions of watsits all over the ground. Then the people said, huh? What you know? He's right. They must have arrived while we slept in the night. There were watsits in every cranny and nook. If you were only willing to take a look, there were watsits every place they could think on their heads, in their beds, in their porcelain sinks. But the watsits went bad every time there were more. Oh, excuse me, I skipped a line here. Uh, So the Hebrews and Shebers said, Oh, how he loves us to shower such blessings upon and above us. And now we've no doubts. No, it's not like it was for we finally have faith. In the things that God does. But the whatzits went bad every time there were more. Than the Hebrews could finish the evening before. Next morning that delicate flavor went south. And turned monstrously muckish inside of their mouths. They were no longer goldenish pinkish and white. But a sick shade of green. That turned put uh, grown men to flight. They said... God, (coughs) ahem, sir, we don't like to rail, but we really don't like your green watsits and quail. We said we would trust all the things that you do, but we must tell you this time, you failed to come through. Because that's the way Hebrews and most people think. When they don't get their own way, they think it just stinks. But Wharton stepped forward, and calm as can be, um, and calm as can be, said, Wait, I think maybe we failed to see the thing we should really have placed our faith in is not what God does, but well, simply in Him. Amen. Then the people said, Wharton, now, hey, wait a sec. You're the, the fellow who discovered that first little speck, and now you say what matters most from the start isn't found on the ground, it's found in our hearts. Then Mo hollered, bingo, you figured it out. Now the real test will come when you conquer your doubts and trust when you can't see what's happening next. Just because, well, it's God. And he always knows best. After, oh, oh, I forgot one. Because you'll never find anything good on the shelf till you learn to look past to the father himself. After 40 more years, Wharton Caleb, Odell finally came to the kingdom of Israel and he said when he passed with the throng on that day the very best part was trusting in God all the way so there's there's a Dr. Seuss account for you Uh, we're going to read the scripture account here in just a moment (laughs) but just like the children of Israel faced trials in the wilderness how many know we face trials And uh, we're going to look at this count a little bit closer. But before I do that, I thought it's kind of fun to look at, you know, even the trials start in our life from childhood on. And, uh, you know, this kind of experience, uh, kids can get all messed up with food. Uh, Sometimes people talk about life going down the toilet. I don't know what there is about kids in toilets, but they, they tend to like playing around them and splashing in them and whatever. Uh, sometimes they even get trapped in the lids, <laughs> which this picture is. I don't know how she did that, but she's really in distress. And uh, sometimes they, they fall asleep. <laughs> we actually had one of our children fall asleep on a porta potty and was leaning up against the, the wall or something. We got a picture of that. Uh, but life, life is riddled with these kinds of trials. And they get themselves in the oddest predicaments. They start climbing and doing whatever, and you kind of go, oh. My goodness. And then some of their trials bring trials to the parents, some of the things that they get into. And so, for instance, uh, maybe they get into the shaving cream and they just have a gay old time bathing in shaving cream, you know. Uh, maybe they do their artwork on your furniture or on your walls. I don't know, maybe you've seen some of that. I've, I've, we had that experience. Now they have these paintable surfaces and, and lots of things you can do with them. Uh, Maybe they do their artwork on another child. (laughs) And how long does it take for that permanent ink to come off, Uh, you know, if you're going to scrub it off or not? And then maybe they do their artwork with some sort of cream or whatever he's used on your TV. And so now that poses a trial for you because you've got to clean all this stuff up, right? That's just the way it is. (laughs) There are other trials that come with children. Uh, I've actually had this happen to me when I was carrying my son on my shoulders and his diaper didn't seal right, but it wasn't the liquid kind. It was the runny, brownish, yellowish stuff oozing out (laughs) down my shirt. Uh, but it's, it's funny as we take a look at what kids do. Then sometimes animals cause us trials and they get into things and we have to get them out of it. And here's one of those situations. Or here's another one. How do how would a dog do that, you know? But but they they do that. Here's a cat. We've had our cat stuck in different places. We've had to get the cat out of places that they got into and didn't know how to get out of. And when I grew up, we had cattle. Now our cattle would sometimes get caught in wire and whatever, but we never had a cat or a, a cow stick his head in a toy car and get stuck like this cow did. <laughs> I don't know how you would quite get that out. Maybe get into the milking stanchion or something and (laughs) try to to do it. And then sometimes animals get overloaded, and we we create problems for them. Uh, And then sometimes we bring problems on ourselves. Anybody here, in all honesty, you're an adult, and you've gone back to try to play on some of the playground furniture equipment. Okay. I mean, swings, merry-go-rounds. I've tried these things. You have to be careful because they really do bend. (laughs) And here's a guy who did a face plank. And, you know, some, some playground equipment no longer fits us. Like this guy found out sliding down a pole, and he's too big. <laughs> and now they've got to peel him out. And then we sometimes put ourselves into difficulties. Anyone ever dare you to stick your tongue on a, on a cold pole or something in the winter? And so then they have to get hot water to pull him off. Otherwise, he's going to rip the skin right off his tongue. And uh, sometimes Jobs poses problems for us. How many here went to Shakul? <laughs> Shakul, that's exactly right. And or circumstances of life and, and so on. Sometimes it's because we don't know how to walk on the roof tr- trusses and we step where we shouldn't step, not realizing that drywall doesn't hold our weight, <laughs> as is in this case. And or sometimes it's our friends who put us in this situation. (laughs) That probably was some sort of initiation. And or we face difficulties because of life's circumstances. Now, so life is riddled with trials. the Bible promises that. Actually, the Bible says, in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So there's a promise. The Bible says this Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing, but the positive is knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance, and if you let endurance have its way, you'll be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. You know, uh, David said, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Paul said, We are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, but not destroyed. The inner man is being renewed day by day, even though the outer man is, is fading away. And there are other such passages in the Bible. The question is, when we go through difficulties, can we learn to trust God in the midst of those difficulties? That's the question. Can we learn to trust? I love what Wharton says in this, uh, this kid's poem. He stepped forward and calm as can be said, wait, I think maybe we fail to see the, the thing that we should really have placed our faith in is not what God does, but well, simply in him. What he's saying is this, don't just look to God's hand, look to his face. So, much, so many times we're looking for what God does for us rather than placing our trust in the person of God. It's not just what we get out of God. It's not just what he does for us. It's that he is a trustworthy person. He's a trustworthy God. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And we're loved by him. And we lean to, to look beyond just what he's doing for us and saying, Oh, God, what are you going to do for me next? He's not some some heavenly vending machine we put our coin in and we say, Okay, God, you didn't deliver that time. He's a father. And if if sometimes he doesn't perform the way we think he should, he has a higher purpose for it. We have to learn to trust him, even in the things when we we can't see. And I love that's where, where Mo steps forward. He says, he hollered, bingo, you figured out. Now the real test will come when you conquer your doubts. And trust when you can't see what's happening next, just because, well, it's God. And he always knows best. You trust who God is so that when the difficulties of life come, it's not like he has to do what you want him to do. It's like the children of uh, Israel. Uh, Our God is well, uh, the three Hebrews, he's well able to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down. Because our devotion is to him. Our trust is him. And I think we have to go beyond God's acts and learn his ways. And it's important for us to come and be grounded in our faith in the person of God, not just in what he does for us. Right. And I think that God allows circumstances, so we come to trust him. Now, during their Israel's three-month journey from Egypt to Sinai, they faced five major difficulties. And, and, if I, I, and I didn't get time in the morning, so I probably won't get to it. But I'm going to talk about eight principles, insights tonight when we face life's Red Sea challenges. Five of those are repeated in every one of those incidents. That's pretty awesome. And some of the other three are in some of the incidents, and some are assumed. And so what we're going to look at this this evening, I believe, provides some guidance for us in how we can face some of life's Red Sea challenges. Now, I know some some biblical passages, they're descriptive of what happened. Uh, but I think we can derive principles from those so that we can learn how to handle our situations. Those things have been written for our instruction and so that we can learn from them. Now, I don't know what uh, difficulties you're facing, but I believe that everybody at some point in their life will face a situation, what I call a Red Sea, that is bigger than they are. They're going to face something in their lives, uh, in, in life, that... They, with apart from the help of God, they won't know how to handle it. And I've, I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in everybody that I know at this point. And if you haven't experienced it yet, you probably haven't lived long enough. <laughs> yeah. Because I think God allows these things so that we can actually learn to trust him. You know, uh, I, I travel a fair bit. Uh, sometimes it's with student teams. Sometimes it's on my own. Uh, and last year I uh, was ministering in a place, and a couple came forward for prayer afterwards. He had just lost his job that week. She was just diagnosed with bone cancer, and she had just lost her mother two months or something before. And I thought, wow, when, when it rains, it pours. Oh, no, those are huge, huge issues. And, and so I and, and went to another place, and a young mother... Her husband had been traveling over one of the passes in some treacherous winter weather, and he was tragically killed. And now here she's a single mom with two young children. How many know that's a big Red Sea for her? She's got a life to live now without a husband, and her, she has to provide for these kids. She has to, to raise these kids on her own. In the past couple years, a couple friends of mine have have... Uh, been, had had some limb amputated how I many know well, that's a challenge you know we like our limbs we, we live with our limbs and then you have to learn how to adjust without having some of your limbs you know with the oil crisis in Alberta I have uh, pastor friends up in, in Fort McMurray and I know just even throughout Alberta tens of thousands of people have lost their jobs it was 30 or 40 thousand at one point in Calgary that had lost jobs And and some of these were you know good positions like engineers and yada yada yada, you know. Uh, but a a pastor friend of mine in Fort McMurray said that he knows of twenty six cases where people have just gone to the bank and given their keys and said, sorry, we have no job, we can't pay for the house, we have to move. Here's the house. (laughs) Now that's a big difficulty, isn't it? In fact, then that was before the fire. Then the fire hit. 2,800 structures, homes and churches and schools and buildings, whatever, businesses, were burnt in that fire. And they're having to rebuild. And so it's a challenging time for them. They've faced a difficulty in their lives. And we all face difficulties at some point in our lives. The question is, how do we face them? So we're going to look at Exodus 14. And I want us to look at some insights that will help us in facing life's Red Sea challenges. And the very first one, I think you probably might be obvious to you. And I've just simply said, pray to the Lord. And this is what it says in Exodus chapter 14. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. (laughs) I want to tell you, I think that's the right thing to do. You know, sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is just have a short prayer, help. You know, you don't always have time for these long Our Father who artest in heaven as hallowed be thy namest type prayers. <laughs> and that's a good prayer. Uh, I mean, and maybe it doesn't have to be even in King James English. Yeah. You know, Peter was out sinking on the water and he said, Lord, save me. How many know that's about all the time he had, uh, he had time for was three words to come out before you hit, the <laughs> hit underneath, Lord, save me. <laughs> And sometimes we just need to cry out. We need to call on God. We need to lift our prayers to him. You know, when when our eyes are telling us Pharaoh's armies are coming or the waves are too high, we need to turn our eyes heavenward to Jesus and offer a prayer. You know, Philippians says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. And the, So here so it is, prayer with thanksgiving. How many know you need both? Yeah. You don't just pray. It's like a one-winged bird. I've never seen a one-winged bird fly. But it's prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Yeah. Thanksgiving puts you in a posture of faith. Yeah. Thanksgiving reflects trust in your Father. And it says if you pray with thanksgiving, it says that the peace of God which passes all, under, all comprehension, all understanding. You won't even understand it, but you can lift your prayers up and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard or keep, like a soldier, your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing picture. There's an answer for our anxiety. It's right there. We can lift our cares, turn our cares into prayers. In fact, Peter says that. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. First it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. That's the command. Here's how you do it. Casting all your care on him because he cares for you. You see, people who are self-sufficient don't pray. It takes a humble person to say, I have a need. And if, you, if you're so self-sufficient and independent, you can do life on your own, <laughs> you know, there's no grace. Because you're just going to live your own life anyway. But when you come to a place and you cast your cares on him, when you say, God, I can't do it, I need you, how many know you're coming to him acknowledging your insufficiency and you're saying, God, I need your sufficiency for this situation. And in that place, God comes and he... Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Amen? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I want to tell you, prayer is the lifeline of the Christian. Prayer is the the means by which we can communicate with our heavenly Father. We need him and we need to turn our hearts toward heaven. So that's the first one. Second one don't grumble. Now, you go through the Old Testament and you look at the children of Israel in the wilderness and they're grumbling all the time. In fact, I counted 13 specific times when when Moses has to intercede for them because of their grumbling and God's wanting to judge them. Now, they may have grumbled more than that, but there's 13 times he wanted to judge them. (laughs) Wow, he was tired of their grumbling. And here's the issue. So what, what they say here in this passage, and this was their common complaint. Then they said to Moses because there were no graves in Egypt have you taken us away to die in the wilderness why have you dealt with us uh, so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt is it not uh, is this not the world, a word that we told you in Egypt saying let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we should die in the wilderness <laughs> I mean no memory is really selective they were being oppressed by the Egyptians their kids were being thrown in the Nile, being killed, all the boy kids, except for the Hebrew midwives that were trying to protect them and save them. You know, they, they had oppressive burdens on them. They were taskmasters. Task in fact, Moses ends up killing someone because of how he was treating one of his fellow Hebrews. And, and they get out in a rough time and they, we always compare our worst time now with our best time later. I mean, before, right? Right. And, and they were saying, oh, take us back to the leeks and onions. Well, that's not a true picture. They, they were um, murmuring. And, and, and someone has said that murmuring is an attitude that God is insufficient in difficulties. That's a pretty powerful statement. When I grumble and complain, I'm saying, God, you're not sufficient for me or for this need in this situation. That's what I'm saying when I'm murmuring and complaining. Murmuring shows lack of trust. It shows we really don't know God and his faithfulness. It also shows that we aren't in tune with him, that we haven't heard his voice in that situation. We don't have his assurance. We're we're not sure what he's doing in our lives. So we murmur and we complain. Uh, and, and, And so that's something that God is wanting. As you read through the account of God's people in the wilderness, they're murmuring and grumbling and unbelief and disobedience all go hand in hand. And they don't enter the promised land because of their unbelief. Grumbling comes out of unbelief. Now, I think there's a difference between being honest with God, which includes confessing our frustration and our complaint and grumbling. Here's what I think. The difference is I'm coming to God with my need rather than blaming God for my need. I can be honest with God and I can say, God, you know, this is too big for me. I don't, I, I'm, I'm fearful. I'm worried. We can be honest with God with our emotions. Just read the Psalms. <laughs> Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall again. I mean, David was very honest with his emotional state. He was very honest with the circumstances around him. But he took them to God. He wasn't walking away from God, blaming God, and then being disobedient with it. David says, pour out your heart before him. He said, God is near to all who call upon him in truth. We can actually confess even our lack of faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief we can come to God with honesty and sincerity of who we are. Jesus was honest with his feelings. He could take his dis- closest disciples aside and say, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. How many know that's pretty honest? Man, I'm, I'm, I'm in so much despair. I'm, I'm ready to die. I mean, he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. The, the, that's hematidrosis. It's where the capillaries, the intensity there breaks the blood vessels open and and when you sweat there's actually a pinkish coloring to your sweat it's powerful intensity of his emotion he's praying before god god if it's all possible let this cup pass from me but not my will yours be done here's the issue jesus could be honest with his emotions but it never hindered his obedience we can share our hearts with god but then we take steps of faith. We say, okay, God, you know my heart. Come and call me. Come and change me. Deal with this. In fact, some of the people in the Old Testament were so honest with God, he called them to repent. (laughs) Hey, that's not a bad thing. Come, repent. Deal with my heart, God. Change me. You know what's in there anyway. I can't hide it from you, but I don't want to blame you. I want to bring my complaint. I want to be honest with you, but I want you to work in me. And I want to change. Okay, the third thing, trust the Lord. And so Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. What a powerful promise. Put your trust in God. Stand and see what he's going to do for you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Proverbs tells us. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Mm -hmm. Now we often do the opposite. We trust in our own understanding with all our hearts and we don't lean on God. And we, and we, we kind of go, what's going on here? But he says, trust. The Bible tells us the benefits of trust. Jeremiah says this Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. In the Lord. And whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream, and will not fear when the heat comes. Will not fear when the heat comes. But its leaves will be green, and it will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Won't fear, won't be anxious. Why? Confidence, trust in God. You see, Paul said, I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him. Paul's confidence, his faith, was based in, I know whom I believe. The more we get to know God, the more... Our confidence is fixed in him, not just what he does. Uh, I like to read leadership books. And years ago, I read a leadership book by Covey called The Speed of Trust. And, And Covey talks about, oh, excuse me. I didn't know I'd moved ahead already. He talks about four cores of credibility. What is it that builds trust in relationships? And I 'm mean, I this is in a business context, and so on. He has other things in the book, but, um, and he breaks them down into two categories: One is the issue of character, the other is the issue of competence. And when we trust a person 's character and their ability, we, when we see that that 's true of them, we will trust them. So for instance, what makes up our character, and the roots are things that are often not seen. They might be demonstrated in life, but these are the deep parts of who we are. And the above parts of the tree are more what is commonly seen. But how many know your integrity isn't always. Are you just as pure in your thinking and in your behavior when you're by yourself as when you're in public? Are you a whole person? Are you accountable to God in those moments when no one sees? But see, your integrity deals with things like honesty. Now, if you know that I'm going to be honest with you, you're going to trust the words that come out of my mouth. If I lie, you're going to go, What's he going to say? What's, you know? If I keep my promises, you're going to trust me to come through. But if I break my promises, if, if I'm faithful, if I'm, you know, in, in every relationship, the foundation of every relationship is trust. And there are things that can break that trust. And if that trust isn't restored, then that relationship will have problems. Now, there are huge betrayals like marital unfaithfulness, And there are maybe more minor f- betrayals like not showing up for dinner when you were supposed to <laughs> or not whatever. And we have to learn how, to, how do I be honest with my failings and reflect that I'm willing to change and I work at it and, and so on. And the more I reflect integrity, people put their trust in me. Because I'm dependable. They can count on me. I'm going to stick through the problems. I'm not going to run away. Now also, the other thing that contributes to this is our intent or our motive. If you know I have your well-being at heart, you're going to trust me because I'm here for you. I'm not here to manipulate you or to use you or to somehow scam you. I'm not going to phone and promise you the world and then not deliver. Hear what I'm saying? Okay. So those things undermine trust. And someone if someone promises you cream and is always delivering skim milk, guess what? Pretty soon you don't trust what they say anymore. Or they they, they promise you things and you you begin to fall, but then all of a sudden you realize they're using me for their ends. How many know that doesn't work? And you know, in a court of law, you can undermine the credibility of the witness by showing that they've lied somewhere, by showing that their motive is wrong, that they actually are made, have made a deal and therefore they're going to testify to this end because they get something out of it. And you can undermine the credibility. And so here's the issue. In a relationship, if you want trust, work on your integrity and work on your motives. And make sure people know that. But then it also comes up to the area of competence. What are your capabilities? Now this is maybe more in the workplace. I've had had a lot of people in their lives disclose their lives to me as a pastor. They know I'm going to keep confidence. I'm not going to go blabbing it somewhere else. They know even though I, don't, I may not have the answer, I'm going to handle them with integrity. I'm going to pray with them. I'm going to support them. I may try to resource them. I'm not a counselor, but I can give <laughs> spiritual guidance. And I've had hundreds of people open their hearts and their lives to me. But I've never had one come to me and say, Pastor Paul, I need open heart surgery. Would you come and do it? <laughs> Why? If you did, I would be integri- I'd have enough integrity to say, no, don't ask me. I have no capabilities there, right? And so if you needed surgery for something like that, then you went to your doctor and you said, not only his capabilities, what are his results? And you talk to your doctor and say, I need open-heart surgery. I see you've been educated at these and these schools. Uh, how, many have, how have your last patients done? He goes, well, I, the last 30 of my patients have all died on the table. How many, that wouldn't give you too much confidence that he would be the one to do your surgery, right? So here's the issue. Now, why do I say this? Why did I take that rabbit trail? Because here's here's my point. God's character is impeccable. God is faithful. He cannot lie. God will keep his word. If he said it, he will do it. God is dependable. God is holy. God is pure. God is just. God is loving. Get to know his character. And his motive for you, he so loved the world that he gave his son for you, he has your well-being at heart. I'm loved by him. And if you can come to get to know God's character and you come to get to know his intent for your life, guess what? Your trust level begins to grow. I know whom I believed and I'm persuaded. That he's able to keep what I've committed to him. Even when it doesn't turn out the way I think it should. Now on top of that, how many know he's the most capable being in the world? (laughs) He created it all. And so if we need a miracle, he's the one we need to turn to. Men will fail us. God will not fail us. Trust, trust. I have to speed up. Listen to the Lord. Now God had already told Moses before this whole thing began what he was going to do. It was going to make them look confused in the minds of the Egyptians. The Egyptians were going to follow him and yada, yada, yada. So Moses had already been listening to God. But God also speaks to him here and he listens again. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land, ground through the midst of the sea. And indeed, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Boy, I mean, know that would be a word of assurance? This is what I'm going to do, and this is what I want you to do. And I think when we come to God to listen to him, what we're saying is, God, what is your purpose in this situation? What is it that you want of me? What are you wanting to do in it, but also what are you wanting me to do in it? And that's when we come and we pray and we we ask. The Bible says, Jesus promises, my sheep hear my voice. You know, we don't serve a dead God. Prayer is not just a one-way communication. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, And he's your savior and he's your shepherd. You have the ability to hear God's voice. In fact, you would not be saved had he not spoken to you. Because the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts you of sin and righteousness and judgment. He he works on your heart and he draws you to Christ. And it's in that working in your heart that you've heard his voice and you've come and you've surrendered your life to Christ. Christ. He speaks to you from his word. He speaks to you sometimes through impressions and thoughts given by the Holy Spirit, that still, small voice. And we have to certainly test those things against his word and against uh, maybe the godly advice of others as well. He speaks to us through others. He speaks to us through spiritual gifts. He speaks to us through dreams and visions or whatever. I've had a few of those. That's not a common thing in my life, but there's been a few of them where God has spoken to me that way. God can speak to you. Even in this room right now, there are radio waves, and if you had your antenna up, you could hear it. If you had a a receiver, you could hear it. God, we have to have our ears up. (laughs) There was a time I went for a dental appointment in Rocky Mountain House, and I was an hour ahead of time, and I didn't want to spend it in the office, and there was a park nearby the downtown area, and so I just went to this park, and I sat on a park bench, and I thought, I'm just going to pray, and Reflect, well, there was construction going on up the street and there was traffic noises and there were kids playing in the playground. And in the midst of all that, I'm sitting and I'm watching this robin. Uh, this robin is going along and he's pecking the ground. and He's turning his, cocking his head and, you know, their eyes are on the side of the head. Uh, I don't know if they're listening or they're looking, probably both, you know, the way birds are. And sure enough, he picked up a worm and he ate it. And I'm watching this, and God spoke to my heart. And he said, Paul, that's what I want you to be like. Even though all the distractions and all the noises are happening, I want you to cock your eye and your ear toward heaven to hear my voice. You know, uh, one of the prophets said, I will stand on the rampart to see what he will speak to me. Oftentimes, for prophets, it it was in some sort of visual image. God would speak through through images and so on. But God wants you to hear his voice. And sometimes when I listen to God, he's silent. And then in those moments, I have to trust. Sometimes I receive words of assurance that he's with me and his grace is sufficient. Sometimes I receive a promise that gives me hope. Sometimes I experience his comfort. Sometimes I experience his peace simply because I've laid that burden on him. As the song says, sometimes he calms the storm. Sometimes he calms his child. And I think we need to realize that that is a provision of God for us as well. Okay, let's quickly go on. The, the, the next one. Know the Lord is with you. And it says this. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came about... Uh, Came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to one and it gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all night long. So here we have the angel of God moves in the pillar of fire. This represented the very presence of God in their midst. It usually stood over the tabernacle but when they traveled it moved and it led them. Here it's protecting them. And I'll tell you, when you're in a Red Sea crisis, to have an insur- assurance of God's presence with you is absolutely vital. And so you go, you know that God is with you. I love some of the passages. Uh, uh, Hebrews says, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He will never leave us. Isaiah, do not fear, I have redeemed you, I have called you by my name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God. And just two verses later, do not fear, for I am with you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, why? For thou art with me. Coming to recognize the presence of God in your heart and in your life is so powerful. David said, I've set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. How many know that's a powerful, powerful thing to know the presence of God? And sometimes he isn't there to deliver us so much as to, for us to get to know him. And for us, sometimes it takes those circumstances to turn us to him. And how many know in the end, in the end, the last chapter hasn't been written. In the end, every wrong will be made right. Everyone who's passed on, everyone who's died, who loves Jesus, they have eternal life in his presence. There will be no more sickness or dying or pain or any of those things. And so sometimes we look too short sighted as to when, what is. What, what the timing is of God's, and his is different. Okay, quickly. Obey the Lord. And so what happens, it says this, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and caused the sea to go back and, you know, the wind comes. How many know that's a step of faith? It's not a very big, well, I can stick. But if God doesn't do anything, how many know you look pretty foolish? Before, even when they crossed the Jordan, the priest had to step into the water before God backed it up. Oftentimes, before God does a miracle, he requires a step of faith. Then, when the walls were there, it says that the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground. And it says, and the waters were a wall to them on the right and to the left. I mean, that takes a step of faith. These walls, how, how are they staying up? And I have to walk through that. And that takes a step of faith. They obey. So I'm just asking this, what is God asking you to do in the midst of your Red Sea Challenge? So when you listen to him and he speaks to you, what's he asking you to do? If you're wanting to mend a relationship, is he asking you to phone someone and say, hey, let's go for coffee? Is he asking you to phone someone up and say, we need to get together. I need to humble myself and ask forgiveness. Maybe maybe you're trusting God for finances and he's saying, you know what? I have a different job for you. Or maybe, you know what? You don't have enough to meet the deed. Maybe it's a seed of faith to give. What's God asking you to do? I don't know. That's something you have to hear him. And maybe it's a health issue. And God says, hey, I've got some of this plan for you or this plan. Or maybe you're going, you know what? You need to lose 40 pounds. Do you think God can tell that to somebody? I think he can. You know, sometimes we blame it all on God. He's saying, you know, I'm trying to teach you your own discipline and self-control. And so on. All I'm saying is this, is that when God speaks to you and you need to obey, God will come through. And it takes that step of obedience. And so what we see, how many know that um, God can be trusted? We take that step of faith. Then we receive God's prompt. Uh, provision or deliverance and in this case I'm not going to read through all the verses but what we see what happens is the Egyptians follow them into the Red Sea and the God causes the uh, waters to pass over them and it all through this thing that happens and the waters return and cover the chariots and the horsemen and the children of Israel had walked around dry land so the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the shore. God provided for their need. It's awesome when God comes through. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes God brings a mighty deliverance like this. Not always. I mean, years ago, we were needing $165,000 at the college. I didn't even know what to do. And in a miraculous provision of God, we ended up with $375,000. There are other times we're trusting for the widow's mites. We're trusting, we're having to cut costs. We're having to, whatever. And God says, well, here's a way, here's a way, But we've survived for 10 years. (laughs) Where other, I know eight schools that have closed in the last seven years. In fact, I know more from the U.S. But just in Alberta and Saskatchewan, eight schools. Because it's a challenging time for, for Bible colleges. Sometimes he gives grace. Sometimes he, he gives you grace to love and forgive. Sometimes he gives a word of promise and a sense of his presence. Sometimes he forges strength of character in you and you have the strength to, to be in that circumstance. Sometimes he fills your heart with love and you can love that unlovable person. Sometimes he changes that unlovable person. <laughs> but whatever he does, God will provide. Uh, and we talked about, sometimes he calms a storm. Sometimes he calms his child. And when God provides, there's nothing but we can do but worship. <laughs> And at the end of this thing, what we see is, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider, he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Wow. We come to a place where all we can do is say, God, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for coming through. Mm-hmm. Now, as we close tonight, I don't know if we have any musicians left or not because I know they've been busy all day long. But, but I want to end with this and give an opportunity for prayer and, and then, then you can be dismissed here. My grandmother, what at one point, was healed miraculously of colon cancer. X-rays showed that she had cancer. The specialist said we need to do surgery. We had prayer going up. She went in, they opened her up, there was no cancer. They closed her up. Our doctor, who was a devout Catholic man, patted him on the hand, patted her on the hand, says, We believe in prayer, don't we? That was when she was in her seventies. Early seventies. She lived to ninety five. But at 89, she had a stroke. And God didn't heal her of her stroke. She was paralyzed, mostly everything except for her left hand. In fact, her speech was impaired. Her mind was totally there. She could still win at Scrabble. But she couldn't put the tails on the thing. She had to just put them, and then she would point where they would be. And all she could say is, woo." that's all we could understand. But she could spell out on the alphabet board that they gave her. And many times, many times, her favorite phrase was, God has a plan, we can trust him. Now, God didn't heal her. But she had 13 roommates in those six years. And my mom and my aunt led every one of them to Christ before they passed away. My mom led two of the nurses to Christ. The nurses would come and say, hey, would you... Come and pray with some other residents there on their last days. My mom and my aunt had a chance to pray with many, many residents in that nursing home. And even though grandma went through that, she was an intercessor. She was a prayer warrior. She wanted to go home to be with Jesus. And you look at it and you go, God, I don't understand. But God's grace in her life and what he did through that circumstance was different than what we would have wanted to see in terms of her situation but God used it for his glory and his honor I just want to say this I don't know how God is going to answer your challenge he may deliver you, he may give you grace in it, he may use it for his glory and honor in some other way